the big history is always written in the history books, whereas the small histories, the things that are important to individuals, are stories that are passed down that we tell we tell our children. We actually call our grandmother Yingying, which is the Chinese word for grandmother on the father's side of the family. Uh, I called him. I call him Grandpa Foot. We in our native language in Hindi, we call them Dada and Dadi. My other grandmother would be Maman Bazur, which is Persian for grandmother. Which is true means old woman in Rwanda. I called her Safta, which is a Hebrew word for grandma. Everybody called her Mami Tita. We called her Mima, Mima and Dada. Grandma. Hi, I'm Steph. And I'm Robin. Welcome to Stories from Grandparents, the podcast where we share stories about and from grandparents. My name is Barry Morgan. I was born and lived in Saskatchewan my whole life. My grandparents on my father's side uh, actually homesteaded our farm in Marsden, uh, the farm that my dad took over and that I grew up on. They came from Scotland and Wales. Uh, My grandfather was from Wales. My grandmother was from Scotland. And they actually landed in Canada, in Halifax, and made their way uh, across the country to uh, get a homestead in Saskatchewan. And when they got here, they had to walk uh, from a town about uh, 20 miles north of our homestead. They had to walk south from that town, or from that town to the homestead. And when they got to the homestead, all that was there was a a granary with some sawdust in the walls and a, a... oil heater that they had to heat and they got there in November. So that first winter was a very difficult time because first of all, it was very cold in the wintertime. They had no land broken. They only had what they had brought with them on one wagon. And so they lived there. And then the next summer, my grandpa went and uh, worked at different farms and also broke a whole bunch of his uh, section of land so that the next year would be better. And eventually they had a house and lived their life on the farm. They had got to Saskatchewan about the time that it became a province. My grandfather got here in 1905 when he was 15 years old. So they saw a lot of the history of Saskatchewan. Uh, They moved from the farm after my dad took over. They moved from the farm to uh, a little, a really tiny little house in Marsden, Saskatchewan, which is a town of about 250 people uh, on the Alberta border. And they lived there. And when they lived there, when I went to school, after I started going to school, I went there for dinner every day. And uh, a story I wrote is uh, called The Fence. And it's about uh, going up uh, for dinner at, at their place and some of the advice that my grandmother gave me. And so I'll, I'll read the story now. The Fence. It was difficult growing up in Saskatchewan, a boy and afraid. We were the sons of men infused with the pioneer spirit, men who never cried, at least when others were present, men who never appeared to be afraid. I, in contrast, was a six-year-old boy with many fears. I entered grade one as a slightly awkward, excruciatingly bashful little boy. I was ripe for being bullied, and Wayne Franklin, later destined to be my best friend, was more than happy to oblige me. Each day as I walked to my grandparents' house for dinner, he lay in wait for me. As I passed, he taunted me with names I had never heard before but understood to be derogatory. The encounter always ended with frustration on his part and my unwillingness to return fire, which in turn manifested itself in his throwing stones at my retreating back. 
I was afraid and ashamed of my cowardice, and therefore I remained quiet about my ordeal. At the point where I had decided that a pretended terminal illness would be my only escape, I sought out my grandmother's advice. My grandmother was Scottish. She had come to this country in the bowels of a ship crowded with immigrants seeking a new life. I had never seen her afraid of anything. When I had explained my predicament, she had put her hand upon my head and brushed the forelock of my hair from my eyes. Her eyes flashed when she asked me in a heavy Scottish brogue, How big is he? My voice was timid, as I said. Not as big as me. Matter-of-factly, she offered her solution. If he's not as big as you, wallop him one right just below the eye. He'll not be so keen at throwing rocks at you then. I had taken this advice even though it was against my nature. I discovered that Wayne Franklin was better at throwing rocks than throwing fists, but as I was walloping him one below the eye, he was hitting me just below the ear. From that point onward, however, he left me alone, and I vowed to seek out my grandmother's advice if ever faced with a similar situation. In theory, this seemed to be a good idea, but it didn't make allowances for the Lawrence boys. The Lawrence family was a fairly typical prairie family except for one small eccentricity. All the children's first names began with L. Mrs. Lawrence had six boys, all big, raw-boned, and blonde. Laurie and Les were the oldest. They were hockey players used to the rough-and-tumble, boys used to fighting for the last pork chop on the plate. Their father had succumbed to cancer, a victim of 30 years of smoking and elevator dust. Mrs. Lawrence had been left to raise her boys the best she could while working at part-time jobs in town to keep food on the table. The boys had, for the most part, stayed out of serious trouble, but were well known to seek out weakness and punish it with impunity. My first encounter with the Lawrence boys occurred early in my grade two year. Although I was a farm boy, my parents thought it beneficial for both myself and my grandparents that I have lunch at their house each noon hour. The downside of this was that to reach their house, I had to pass the Lawrence's house, which bordered the elementary school property. In turn, this meant that quite often I met Les and Lori Lawrence on their way home from the high school on the other side of town. Whenever I met them, I made sure to get off the sidewalk, allowing them more than enough room to pass. One day, as I walked toward my grandparents, I saw the Lawrence boys approaching. Unlike other days, however, this time they seemed to notice me. As they approached, they seemed to be looking at me and talking conspiratorially. I stood off to the side, but as they passed, they scooped me up off the ground and in one motion threw me high in the air over the wooden slat fence that bordered the sidewalk. I landed with an unceremonious thud on the other side of the fence. They continued on down the street laughing and talking as if this incident had never happened. It had a much stronger effect on me. I was shaken by the whole incident and I decided against telling my grandmother, worrying that her advice would involve walloping one of these monsters under the eye and knowing that I was not up to the task. To avoid any further encounters, I took emergency measures. The first was to wait long enough before leaving for lunch to ensure they were already in their house. The second added precaution that I used on those days when I couldn't be sure that they were in their house was to take a circuitous route to my grandparents, which sometimes took a full 15 minutes longer than usual. This lent an air of urgency to my lunch hours. I arrived late, ate faster than normal, and then had to run back to school so that I wouldn't miss the baseball or soccer games that took place at noon. All this despite the fact that when I saw the boys after school, they seemed not to even notice that I was there. In school, I had found the source of popularity to be my ability to make other people laugh. This ability generally came at the expense of classroom decorum. 
Consequently, Miss Franz, my teacher, spent quite a bit of her time trying in vain to curb my exuberant spirit. Lately, she had taken to inventing punishments that would have befitted the Spanish Inquisition. On one particular spring day, I'd been made to stay late after the noon bell for what she had termed conduct unbecoming a place of learning. It had actually entailed whistling during silent reading, which I viewed as enhancing the learning atmosphere. As punishment for my attempt to improve the classroom climate, I'd been made to stand for ten minutes with a book on each arm, arms spread wide like Christ on the cross. I'd been released finally when she was sure I could stand no more pain. My arms ached as I burst through the door into the brilliant spring sunshine. The smell of the earth was in the air, and the day was so glorious, I forgot the Lawrences and my fear of them. As I skipped joyously down the sidewalk, I saw them coming. Too late to turn back, I decided to continue on, sure that by now they had forgotten the sadistic joy of our previous encounter. They seemed to be ignoring me, but as I stepped off the sidewalk on the grass to avoid brushing up against them, they must have sensed my trepidation. This time they scooped me up off the ground and less asked the question, Would you like to fly? I recognized this as a rhetorical question because before I could answer, I was launched high in the air over the same fence as before. This time my fall to earth was arrested by my blue jeans, which had snagged on a nail. The pants had ripped from my pocket to my knee, but had retained enough strength to leave me suspended upside down like an ornament on a Christmas tree. It took several minutes of struggling to free myself, and by the time I was back on the sidewalk, the Lawrence boys were long gone. My eyes were still stinging with tears when I arrived at my grandparents' tiny clapboard house. I entered the kitchen knowing that I would have to break my vow of silence. My disheveled appearance and ripped pants ensured this. My grandmother was proudly Scottish, with a healthy dose of Scottish temper. She loved her grandchildren blindly and without reservation. She often told my mother on those occasions when my mother found the courage to accuse her of spoiling us, the only way you can spoil a child is by not loving them enough. She had lost her own mother when she was 12. She had lived a life that was decidedly not spoiled. The stern look on her face betrayed her concern. What happened to you? She questioned. I couldn't keep it from her. I sobbed out my story, stammering over the part about the previous encounter. I told her it all, even throwing in the part about Miss Franz's punishment for good measure. My grandmother's eyes flashed dangerously as she said, I think maybe we should have a wee visit with these great awful bullies. She took my hand, and we walked out the door, leaving my grandfather standing in the doorway. He was a Welsh gentleman and knew enough that there was no use trying to restrain a Scotswoman with a purpose. My grandmother was a tall, angular woman who in her youth had been about five foot ten, but the gradual settling of time had shrunken her measurably. As she walked beside me, she seemed taller somehow, her chin set proudly, her shoulders thrown back. The Lawrences lived in a little house that seemed too small for such a raw-boned voice. It was sided in the old stucco style with bits of broken glass embedded in the plaster. As we approached, I noticed that most of the glass had been broken off by the constant battering of puck and ball. My grandmother and Mrs. Lawrence often had tea together, their friendship cemented by the hardship of their lives. My grandmother strode up the walkway alone while I waited at the gate. Mrs. Lawrence, who had been working in the shabby flower bed out front, rose and greeted her warmly. The smile soon turned to a frown of consternation as my grandmother related the reason for her visit. Without a word, she turned on her heel and went into the house. In a few seconds, Les and Laurie came out, rather sheepishly, to stand before my grandmother. 
Despite their body language, their smirks confirmed that they were not really repentant, but instead were merely eager to get this ordeal over with. They seemed to tower over my grandmother as she began to speak. I want you boys to listen very carefully to what I have to say. I've known your mother for many a year. She's had to raise you by herself, and God knows it hasn't been easy. She spoke quietly but assuredly. She smiled at them warmly. She wants to be proud of you, and I think she is. The boys smiled back now, sure that punishment was going to be palatable. But just as the boys were at their most confident, my grandmother did a surprising thing. She reached up quickly and grabbed Les's ear. She twisted it, hard, pulling him down to her height. With steel in her voice, she said, But let's make one thing perfectly clear. You'll not be throwing my grandson over any more fences, for if you do, you'll find out that you're not too big to be spanked like the big bullies that you are. With that, she let go of Les's ear. Laurie stepped back involuntarily, fearing that his ear would be next. Before she left, she turned to Mrs. Lawrence in the doorway and said, Come over for tea sometime. I've missed seeing you. We turned on our heel and left. I had a feeling that those boys wouldn't bother me anymore. I'd glanced back and I had seen the terror in their eyes. As we walked together hand in hand, I would like to have thanked her, but I knew it wasn't needed. This had been about Kith and Kin. That night, I dreamt of Rob Roy in his sheepskin robe striding across the highlands in search of tyrants to defeat. And that's the story about my grandmother and kind of the hero worship that a small child can have for a, for a grandparent when they feel vulnerable and uh, the grandparent comes through. When did you write that, Barry? Uh, probably, it's probably about 15 years old now, 15 or 20 years now. I, I read it to students in, uh, in school when I taught. I've written a lot of stories and a lot of them I would write and then I would, I would read them to students while they were writing just to kind of show them what I would write like. I always told them, uh, that uh, all they had to do was pretend they liked them. I didn't care if they really liked them they, because while I was reading them, they weren't having to do any other work. So they usually smiled because <laughs> they they like not having to do other work. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. What is that story meant to teach? Well, I, I think I think it kind of it kind of talks a little about. It was a different time, obviously, but it, it kind of talks about bullying too. I think, mm-hmm. and it talks about how. Uh, how uh, bullies in a lot of cases are are cowards. They're not they're not people that are strong. They're people that are weak. And uh, in this case, that my grandmother recognized that that they weren't that they weren't anything to be afraid of, even though they were much bigger than her. She she knew that they were they were just little boys. Why was it your grandmother who dealt with this situation and not your parents? Uh, I think I think I, I would have probably been embarrassed uh, to tell my parents. You know, they'd sent me off to school, and and I was supposed to be I was supposed to be strong, and and like a lot of people in Saskatchewan, you don't really talk about at that time anyway. Talk about your weakness or anything like that, and uh, it just seemed to me because of the proximity too. I mean, the little incident happened. Uh, close to my grandparents' house, so they were the first person that I saw. I mean, my dad stood up for me many times uh, uh, 
other times in my life, but at that point, it just seemed she was the right person to to tell. It's probably one of the least judgmental relationships you can have. Like, you know that you can say something to your grandmother or grandfather, and he's not really going to judge it as much as just support it. Like, in general, I mean, I think if when I was young, if I'd have there were things that I could have said to my grandparents that would have made them fall off their chairs, but but still, they they would have. I don't think they'd have ever been mad at me. They would have just they would have just been happy that I told them, and and that is a uh, that's really cool. Thank you for listening to Stories from Grandparents. If you have any interest in submitting stories or if you want to participate on the podcast, please send us an email at storiesfromgrandparentspodcast at gmail.com. 